are listening to She Thrives Radio. This is episode number 69, and today I'm super excited to bring to you my friend, Diane San Filippo. Diane is the owner and founder of Balanced Bites, who is a company that does a lot of things, but also, I have to throw in here, makes literally my most favorite spice blends ever, like have all of them in my cabinet. Just ordered a whole bunch recently. Again, I put this shit in everything. Cannot recommend enough. She is a certified nutrition consultant, and she's also the New York Times bestselling author of Practical Paleo, the 21-Day Sugar Detox, co-author of the Mediterranean Paleo Cooking Cookbook, and she has been all over the scene as an entrepreneur, as you can tell, for like a minute, okay? And I have to say this is super cool because... It's kind of full circle. Practical Paleo was the first book that I bought when I started to become interested in nutrition. So, you know, as some of you know, I started CrossFit um, first and I was like a smoker and like a vegetarian and eating not very well uh, for myself and my needs, um, considering I was gluten intolerant and I didn't know it and all that, that kind of shit. So, That was my life for a little bit until all of a sudden I was like, hmm, maybe I should clean some shit up around here. (laughs) And so obviously I quit smoking. I got really interested in nutrition and Practical Paleo was the first book that I bought. And there's a bunch of recipes in there, but there's also a ton of information in the front half of the book, like really educational. She actually put out like a revised version of that book recently and I seriously cannot recommend it enough. I think it's just like a really awesome resource. Um, so it's very cool today to have Diane on the show because she was like literally the first person that I learned from when I decided to like give a shit about this part of my life. You know what I mean? Like that's cool. And even though Diane is like obviously very well versed in the nutrition world, we actually are not really talking about nutrition in today's show. We actually are kind of going a different route, something that I think is going to be really enjoyable for you. And we're talking about some of the stuff that Diane and I have in common when it comes to sort of mindsets or mindset traps even in building the life that you want for yourself. So we touch a little bit on being entrepreneurs and what that looks like, but you know, if you're not an entrepreneur, rest assured, there's so much good stuff for you in here to still take forward into any area of life that you want. Um, And so I really hope that you enjoy this. And before we get right into it, I just wanna say, if you do enjoy this interview, if you like what you're hearing and things are clicking and you're like, yes, Take a screenshot and share it on the gram so I can see. Tag me, tag Diane. Tell us what you're loving about it. You know, I always love to see that. So, okay, without further ado, let's go ahead and get in to my interview with Diane Sanfilippo. She Thrives Radio is the podcast component to the She Thrives blog, a space dedicated for women who are on a mission to feel good, crush their goals, and live big. I'm your host, Taylor Gage, health and mindset coach, CrossFit and USA weightlifting coach, blogger, and portrait photographer. She Thrives is your BS-free resource for all things wellness, mindset, confidence, body image, personal development, and general badassery. My goal here is to help you get out of your own way so that you can thrive. All right, team, I am so excited to bring to you today my friend, Diane Sanfilippo, and I feel like there's a very high chance that everybody listening today knows exactly who you are. (laughs) Maybe. in the off chance that there's three people listening who don't know, Diane, I'd love for you to just like 
um, tell me a little bit about who you are and what you do and fill everybody in. Okay, sure. So most people know me as the New York Times bestselling author of Practical Paleo and the 21 Day Sugar Detox and my new book, Keto Quick Start, came out in January. So most people know me from that or from the Balance Bites podcast, which just wrapped like in its entirety, 400 episodes, almost eight years of podcasting, which 400 sounds like a lot and also not a lot. But then when you realize it's like about eight years worth of showing up every week, I, I told Liz, uh, Liz Wolf, my you know, former podcast co-host, like I have not been committed to anyone or anything. <laughs> Even my husband, we haven't, you know, soon, you know, whatever point we'll be together that long, but, uh, the longest I've done anything. So Balance Bites podcast. Lots of folks know me from that. And what people don't probably know as much if they haven't followed me more deeply for longer is that uh, my journey is much more in the realm of entrepreneurship, business, marketing. And I happen to become really passionate about nutrition and health and have always been passionate about food and cooking. So for me, it was you know, the business person in me that took me to this realm of, okay, now I'm going to make nutrition and food and health my business because that's just what I do with something that I'm interested in or passionate about. It becomes a business. I don't really have hobbies. I will monetize everything. I just can't help but do that. It just seems like a waste of time to have hobbies. So let's monetize that. So that's kind of more my background, you know, when I went through just my whole life of working in retail from the time I was 16. And then in school, um, in college, I went to Syracuse University and studied consumer studies, which was kind of business and marketing from a consumer protection, consumer education point of view. So I think that's what gives me a unique perspective on things. Like I'm not this marketing person who's just always trying to sell, sell, sell. But I always love looking at what is it that people are asking for without saying it mm-hmm. and kind of reading between the lines and um, emotional intelligence being one of those things where I feel like that's something that people don't value as much as I think they could. So anywho, have gone through lots of different jobs and careers and all of that, all feeding into the work that I do today, which is largely focused on uh, Balance Bites meals, which I released at the end of January, which are frozen meals. And, you know, there's a long backstory there that folks can read on the website as well as Balance Bites spices. So it's kind of this full circle of teaching people how to eat better and do things for themselves, but also creating products and having fun with the graphic design and the packaging and the marketing and all of that, which are things that I just love doing. I did go back to school at one point in time for a graphic design certificate. I'm really like a hundred. I'm not actually 41. (laughs) Um, So, you know, all of this stuff feeds into each other and that's kind of where my focus is right now. Like this year, 2019, Balanced Bites Meals, Balanced Bites Spices, um, those are really my main focuses. And then also like, you know, we were talking right before the show, uh, I've been posting a lot on my own Instagram, these like inspirational, motivational quotes, whether it's like life related or business, et cetera. And I hashtag it Diane direct. And it's, it's really just about the way I approach things and look at the world and trying to impart some of that on other people, because my natural tendency is to not give a shit what other people think. 
I care what I think and I care what a very small collection of, you know, the Brene Brown kitchen cabinet folks, like small collection of people, uh, not the cheap seats. And I want to be doing well to what I think is success, which is just for me, that's like, this is, this is my background. Did you like this intro? (laughs) But for me, it's about, um, doing what I know I'm capable of that's really it or what somebody else close to me believes I'm capable of if it's more than what I think I'm capable of which is so lovely right when someone else believes there's more for you than you even believe for yourself Mm -hmm. um so all of that is kind of like where I'm at now and what I'm moving towards and I, I think at some point maybe some other things involving business coaching but I've just constantly shied away from it. I've done it a little bit here and there, but I'm still like building my own businesses and there's more I want to do with that before I turn around and coach other people on it more. So I'm kind of doing that at a distance, you know, this like loose coaching where like take what you need from it. Anyway, (laughs) just a little bit about me. How many minutes was that? Like 20 minutes? And this is exactly why I wanted to have you on the show. Uh, because first of all, I have just been like, girl, you have been pumping out some shit lately, like with your meals and with your spices and you just published a book. You've been on a book tour. You've been so, um, I don't want to say the word busy, but you've just been like, you have been creating, you have been really, really creating. And, uh, side note, the balanced by spice blends that you make <laughs> team, no joke. I am telling you. We live by those. We have them in our cabinet. Um, and I put that shit in everything. I'm not even kidding. They're so really I'm in love with those. And I'm very proud of them. They're really uh, good. They're so, and you should be. You should be. I'm, uh, so I've seen you be, like, you have just been, like, you've been out there. You've been making shit happen. You've been busy. You've been creating. Um, and so it's really kind of through that lens that I kind of wanted to bring you on the show. And you touched on something in there about kind of, like, what your sort of natural tendencies are. Uh, in the, you know, so I wanted to sort of balance and talk about both of these things at, at sure. once. Cause one of the things that, um, I, <laughs> one of the things I love about you is that you're a lot like me. <laughs> it's like the most ridiculous sentence ever, but no, we're drawn to people who, listen. you know, we see ourselves in, or some people are drawn to me who don't see themselves at all in me, but, but things that they, you know, attributes they wish or want to aspire to in a way, like the, the not caring what other people think is a big thing that other people are like, I want to be more like that. Okay. Yeah. And that's what I want to, I want to get all into that from every different angle. And, you know, like I was saying, we have a lot in common, I think between, um, you know, you're from New Jersey. I'm from just outside New York city in New York. Uh, we're both the four tendencies rebel. Uh, (laughs) I think you're a, a strengths finder activator too. Is that right? Uh, yeah. Activator is my first, I have a little printout. I know mine's on my desktop. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I am a four on the Enneagram. I know you're an eight, but I'm a four very closely followed by an eight. Interesting. So we have a lot of these different components in common. And I think what's strikingly obvious about that is that we both know what all of those are for us. We Mm. love these kinds of tests. I know you um, really enjoy them. I know I obviously really enjoy them too. And so um, I guess there's a few things that I want to touch on in this. And I guess what I'd love to start with is what of these, you know, kind of personality tests or however you want to call them, Mm -hmm. have you found the most impactful for you and why? Mm -hmm. Um, I think... 
I've definitely found, I found all of them impactful for different reasons. So even before, uh, well, before the four tendencies was created, right? Gretchen Rubin created that framework. And even before that, some of the things that I had looked at in terms of personality profiles, listen, like love languages is one of them. And I, you know, that's something that's been really helpful just in my personal relationship and in business relationships, because it's, they call it a language of appreciation more so than a love language. And physical touch is probably not part of those when it comes to like business, but um, acts of service is my love language, my top love language. And knowing that has been really helpful and powerful because even with, so, you know, thank you for all of the compliments that I don't do everything myself. I have women who work with me, um, you know, at varying degrees or varying hours at a time, et cetera. But um, for me, because acts of service is so high up, I'm a really hands-off, maybe, maybe to a fault, but a really hands-off boss where I'm like, let me give you as little direction as possible because to me, it shows that you appreciate what you're doing and that you are into it and you're committed when you just do, you know, and come check in with me when you need help or direction or priority or feedback, et cetera. But like, I don't want to micromanage or hold anyone's hand. And for me, that's an act of service. And to me, it shows love and appreciation. Um, so there's that when it comes to work. I do think that something like uh, Myers-Briggs, which if you go to the Myers-Briggs, like the modern version is the 16personalities.com, I think. And if you look up my Myers-Briggs type, it's called the commander, which is like not shocking. So I'm an ENTJ. I think I definitely err a little bit towards the INTJ at times, meaning um, I think I'm an extroverted introvert. I really enjoy speaking on a stage and I'm totally drained afterwards. And I just literally don't want to talk to anyone except someone very close to me. You know, like I can go to dinner with my husband where I don't have to be on. Mm -hmm. Being on is fine. I just, then I need to be off. And I don't feel, I mean, I might feel energized for a minute, but then I feel really drained. So and I don't like parties. I don't like talking to people. I like, I will sit in one spot and let someone come to me. I, I don't want to mingle. Like, it's just not my, not my bag. So I think it's really important to know all of that because it helps with relationships, with, which relationships are everything, you know, in just in terms of our happiness, in terms of um, how we communicate with other people, in terms of how we get things done with work and just around the house and all of that. So I think they're really helpful in that regard. Um, and then the last one uh, we could talk about, like, well, there's Enneagram. Mm -hmm. And obviously being an eight, which is known as the challenger. So like commander, challenger, basically like bossy as hell. Um, <laughs> this is how I am. Uh, but learning about that and learning some of the pitfalls and learning some of the signs of like when your personality type is in a healthy versus unhealthy place. I think all of that and harnessing all of that, being aware of it is the key to moving forward in entrepreneurship at the very least, or just like I said, relationships. Like if you're going to go to a job versus being an entrepreneur, I mean, I think they're two different things and there's nothing wrong with going to a job. If you love what you're doing and it's someone else's company, but you're passionate about it, like go to that job. I don't think it's for everyone to take on the responsibility of owning and running a company. I think that there, it's just not for everyone. And I appreciate that there are people who it's not for because they help me and support what I'm doing. Um, and I think that everyone needs to learn 
is that for you or not? Because while the rewards will be greater, the risk is much greater. And it's just not a good place for everyone to be. It's not healthy for everyone to be in a place of that much risk because it's damaging for you. My personality type, not only as a rebel, I feel like rebels can handle deeper consequences than other types can. That's the four tendencies types. Like for us, consequences are really what drive our decisions. Like, well, what's going to happen if I choose this or this? A lot of consequences will be unknown. I feel like we can bear the brunt of unknown consequences more strongly than other people can. Like I'm okay with a late fee. Someone else might freak out about a late fee. I'm like, whatever, I'll figure it out. Because mm -hmm. this other thing was more important today, whatever it is. Um, that's just a small example, but it's something that's definitely come up over time where like my mom will freak out. Did you pay your taxes? I'm like, listen, if I didn't owe money this year, they'll be filed by October. It's okay. You know what I mean? Like in my history and she's freaking out. I'm like, mom, relax. Um, so I think that self-mastery and, and maybe this is just a product of as we get through our thirties and into our forties, it's, you realize that you need to understand yourself in order to have better relationships, to stop getting into, you know, dating the wrong person, have not, you know, not communicating properly, having friendships go awry, whatever's going to happen. I think knowing ourselves better and being open to and aware of the ups and the downs of our own personality and our own innate way of operating. Um, it's not about being pigeonholed or in a box of like, well, this is just how I am. It's about understanding this is how I am by default. And how do I, how do I work with that to become more of who I want to be? So an example for me is a natural tendency that I have is to be very critical. I'm extremely critical and I can steamroll people very easily. Yeah. You're a steamroller. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and, um, you know, there are people around me who their natural tendency is to take criticism really personally. And I, I'm not like that. I just don't, I don't naturally take criticism very personally, unless it's something I already believed about myself and my own self-belief is pretty positive. So it takes, it takes really hitting something tender, like the one Achilles heel item you might criticize that would actually hurt. Most everything else you're going to say to me, I'm just like Teflon to it. I'm like whatever slides right off because your opinion is not valuable to me unless you're one of those really tight people. Right. But lots of other people take opinions of others really personally all the time. And, and maybe it is people that I'm close to. Right. So I am on that inside um, but I have to be really careful about how I proceed knowing that. And so I think that's really valuable, both in personal relationships and working relationships, et cetera. Um, and also the people around me should know this is my type and this is how I tend to be and don't take it personally because it's not personal, you know? So it's like both sides of it. It's me knowing myself well enough to meter and monitor myself. And it's also about helping people around you understand how you are so that they can meter and monitor themselves in response. Does that make sense? Yeah, I love that. And you know, you touched on something in there that I wanted to, you know, hear you expand on a little bit because while I personally really love personality types, I like I literally have my clients take the four tendencies before they even begin mm -hmm. working with me. So I know how to best support them. Right. Like it's something I definitely believe in. 
um, and, and, and love. And I love how you put that self mastery. Like I, mm-hmm. that's to me kind of where that goes as well. Really knowing yourself, as you mentioned in there, a lot of times what happens is people can take a test and then they throw their hands up and they're like, see, it's just who I am. It's just how I am. This is just what it is. And mm-hmm. I think that, you know, as humans, we have a tendency to latch onto identities. And when we take a personality test, sometimes that thing, those results that pop up can sometimes like calcify traits about ourselves. And we almost, we feel like we take our hands off the wheel and we're just like, well, whatever, this is what it is. And I just have to deal. And so I'm curious, like, you know, you touched a little bit on this in there, but like, have you ever found yourself held back by, um, kind of latching onto an identity that you have maybe found in one of these tests or maybe outside of that? Um, and how do you kind of take it as data and allow it to be something that serves you versus hold you back if so? Well, I think that's the nature of being someone who is growth oriented and is willing to look at the information for information's sake and saying, okay, that makes a lot of sense. Yep. This is how my childhood was. This sounds, this is a core trauma of mine or whatever it was that caused my personality to develop this way. It's like, wow, that makes a lot of sense. And so I mean, I'm trying to picture what it would be like. There are plenty of unhealthy, like we'll just lean on the Enneagram for now because I do think that literally when I read the Enneagram 8 descriptions, it's so disgustingly me. Like it is just, I mean, I maybe ever read one line of something where I was like, eh, eh, that's not so much. Um, But what I think is important to know is that there are always going to be healthy or unhealthy representations of these different personality types or sort of, you know, it's, it's almost like um, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, right? This idea of self-actualization. And if someone were to tell you your type, but you are not at a place where like the foundations of you as a person have been met, then it's not going to be as beneficial or you're not going to be able to get as much out of it. But when you're at a point where, you know, you have security, you're, you have a roof over your head and food and, you know, money in the bank or whatever it is that you are more and more secure as a person, when you get to a place where you can look at who you are uh, more objectively and say, yep, that's it on paper. So how do I, how do I enhance the positives of this and how do I avoid some of the pitfalls of this type? And that's really what I think it's about. I don't think it's about saying, well, this is just who I am because I've definitely gone through, even in the last couple of years, there have been moments where in, even in the moment and in reflection, I can say that was me at my worst. Like that was me in stress or me in fear And that's what the eight does in fear. And I can look at it really objectively and be like, obviously that's what I was doing and identify that so that I can improve it in the future. I think people tend to shy away from owning their shit and in something about whether it's, I mean, I do actually think, I think the eight, the Enneagram eight, tends to lean on personal responsibility and being in control of their own lives very, very strongly. I mean, as someone who is known as the challenger, like we are not about sitting back and being passengers in our own lives. The few eight women that I'm close friends with, I have two women I can think of off the top of my head who I'm really close with, like very much feel 
in control of, in the driver's seat. I make the choices and then this is what happens. And so part of it is a bit innate, right? Like part of it's, it is who I am. And so it is difficult for me to explain how to be more that way. Mm -hmm. But I think part of it is when you recognize, and I recognize this, I remember there was a moment when I was uh, probably like a freshman or sophomore in high school, not high school, in college. And came home and was having dinner with like friends and one of my friend's parents. And somebody made a comment like, well, like what's she doing now? Or like, what now, now what are you up to Diane? Like in this, I don't know, in this, like, you're not doing what's expected of you or what everyone else is doing. So like, now what are you doing? And they weren't trying to be jerks. They're super nice, lovely people. But I kind of realized that I didn't care what they thought. Like I just had a moment where I realized I'm going to tell you what I'm up to and what you think of it is not important to me because, and maybe this is like the, the J side of the ENTJ, but like the judgmental, like what's so great about your life that what you think is so important. Mm. Are you Oprah? Because that's pretty much it. What does Oprah think? I'm just kidding. But you know what I mean? It's like people give, um, too much weight and value to what people think who don't deserve to have a say. And and I think that rightfully so, like this is often um, based in what your parents think, right? Because they're the ones who you're constantly trying to seek approval from. And I do feel like I had a very secure, loving relationship with my parents. I was not um, overly concerned that what I did was not being approved of by them. So that for sure helped to form the way that I am. So thanks to my parents who I'm sure were not that aware of what they were doing, you know, like (laughs) 40 years ago. Um, but part of how my personality also developed was to like be good so that I would just like get what I wanted because in my house, things were just a little hectic. Like I have an older sister and you know, when you're the second child, your parents are not usually as hard on you. Um, so I think a lot of things developed where I'm like, well, how can I move through the world in a way to get what I want and not in a crazy manipulative way, but just in like, do I just need to behave myself right here or can I do this? And it doesn't matter what these other people think. So, um, so for the folks who are like, well, this is just how I am. Um, that is not growth and personal development and betterment oriented that is uh passive and i think that it's irresponsible yeah you know what i mean to just say well this is how Mm -hmm. i am instead of saying this is how i am and do i want to be that way that's it and in a lot of cases i'm like i'm really glad that i have a natural baseline of being a lot more self-assured than some other folks i'm glad because that really serves me right? But there are other things that don't, like the steamrolling, for example, you know what I mean? It's like, I really want to make sure that I'm giving people a chance to have their voice heard when I'm in a situation where I need to recognize how important their voice is. Yeah. I love that. I think it's like, you know, you nailed it. It's like, okay, now that I have this set of data, like how can I 
um, what pieces of this is serving me and getting me the results that I want to see, the relationships I want, like anything, you know, my circuit, like how is this impacting my life in right. ways that really support me and how potentially is the same exact trait right. holding me back and kind of coming at it, like you said, with objective uh, just like a little bit of space, right? When you completely, it's really hard for people to do that. It's really yeah. hard for someone to look at, like I've, I've experienced this with a couple of friends. Um, no one that anyone would know publicly, just like to put that out there. Um, but a couple of friends who I'm like, when they discover their type, like they can't self-identify in that scale of healthy, unhealthy mm. because they're so out of touch with their own behavior patterns. And I'm like, it's very obvious to me where you fall here. You know what I mean? But unfortunately, especially when we're in some of the unhealthy levels, it's just, we're so disconnected with why and how we behave. Yeah. And that's, this is what makes us human is that awareness, yeah. right? And so if we're not connecting with that, then we're just not reaching our potential. I love that. That's so true. And it's uh, funny you say that because that's literally like, <laughs> a ton of the work that I do with my clients um, in my coaching program is getting down to business and getting awareness around those beliefs and behaviors and traits because you can't do much until you know what you're working with. Mm -hmm. And, you know, yeah. you mentioned something in there that I wanted to build on as well because, um, you know, your whole, like your whole hashtag and this whole, this whole, like, um, <laughs> This whole thing is literally, you call it Diane direct, right? And so being direct is obviously not something that um, I would say that you struggle with, at least currently. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm really interested. This is something that we've talked about before on this show with various guests and kind of on my own um, solo episodes, but I would love to hear your take on this. And it's from a post that you made recently in your hashtag uh, Diane direct. Um, People pleasing is dishonest. And I would love to hear your expansion on why you believe that to be true. And kind of at the same time, how we balance being honest with people without being dicks to people. You know what I mean? Like, how yeah. do we do that? Um, and I would just love to hear you kind of like take the mic for a minute here and explain why people pleasing is dishonest and how to navigate it. Um, I think it's dishonest to be a people pleaser because this is something where you are not, you're not being sincere if you're just focused on doing things so that other people will like you. It's not sincere. You're not doing it because you want to. You're not, and this, this has nothing to do with doing things for other people or helping other people. That totally different than people pleasing. Okay. So like helping your friend move because you want to be a good friend is not people pleasing. Say yes. Saying yes. When you want to say no is people pleasing. Mm -hmm. And I think that there's a balance and like a fine line middle ground of, well, of course there are things we don't want to do that we say yes to but we do it because we want to say yes. Like that would be an example. You know, I mean, I'm really not the person to call if you need help moving, but I'm the person to call if you are having surgery and you're like, I need someone to sit with me for a week. I will do that. Like I will say yes to that. Yeah. But, but there are things, but I won't say yes to it just so you will like me mm. 
or you won't dislike me or you will think something of me. This is the difference. And I think it's really hard for people to put their finger on it. But so going back to that four tendencies thing, since the vast majority of people are obligers, I think that the obliger people pleaser cross-section is strong. Yeah. <laughs> right? Not a lot of rebels will identify as being people pleasers. Yeah. We just won't. We don't do things because we're expected to by other people. It's just not how we operate. But the obliger does things that are expected of them. And then the obliger rebellion kicks in where one day they realize enough is enough. But it's nobody's fault but your own for having said yes to things for years or decades that you didn't mean to say yes to. So, you know, to talk about Oprah again, she talked about an experience where, you know, she was a people pleaser for so many years and one day decided that, I think this was, I think she says that it was kind of after reading uh, Eckhart Tolle's book, A uh, New Earth, talking about intention being of utmost importance. And if our intention when we say yes, is that so that someone will like me or so that they won't dislike me, then that is not true to ourselves. So she was talking about somebody asking her to donate money for something or come speak at something or whatever it was. And it was, I don't know, it was like Stevie Wonder was somebody important. And she said no. And it was like the first time that she said no and was kind of like, okay, well, let's see if they still talk to me after this right? So if you say no to something and you, in saying no, what you're doing is setting a boundary. And if that boundary is something that somebody else is now uncomfortable with and they revolt and they don't like you anymore, well, were they really your friend? Mm -hmm, yeah. If you, if, if your no is not a value to them, if you are not a valuable friend to them, when you say no, I, I think it's really important. Um, here's another really silly small example but for sure my mom's a people pleaser and I think she's worked on it in her life and I think a lot of people who may or may not have been people pleasers I think when they become a mom will lean more towards it and it's partially because you want to take care of your children and I think that that's fully understandable in the last few years so my parents go to Florida in the winter they're snowbirds we're from the east coast and it's just like too cold for the 65 plus blood I guess so they head south um, and when I was traveling and touring on the East Coast, I would always stay at my parents' house. Why would I pay to stay at a hotel? Like, that's just ridiculous, right? Because they have a house in New Jersey. But a couple years ago, my mom was like, well, no, we closed up the house. Which, like, if you don't know what that means, it's like, you know, you set the heat to a low enough temperature that the pipes don't freeze, but you're not heating the house. You clear out the refrigerator. Yeah. You make sure the plumbing is not, like, constantly running. Like, you just do things that are going to be safe to leave the house, you know, for months on end. And she was like, well, you can't stay there because we closed up the house. And I could rewind back myself five years ago before she said this to me, and I would have pushed. Mm. Like, I would have been like, come on, this is ridiculous. It's our house. I don't want to spend the money, blah, blah, blah. And I would have pushed on her boundary. Like that was a boundary. And I was really, I identified it. And I was like really proud of her for saying no to me. <laughs> and I was really proud of myself for not pushing the boundary and not disrespecting it. And I think that that seems small, but it's not, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying I'm perfect at this with my parents all the time. And my mom will, she bends over backwards. We're coming to visit. What can I get from Trader Joe's? And, and that's, you know, 
I don't think that that's people pleasing if you want to do it to help someone. If I ask someone to do something and they say no, you know, you have to respect that boundary. So I think that it's really about intention and really about understanding are you trying to avoid pain and discomfort? Are you trying to avoid setting a boundary? Are you trying to avoid someone possibly not liking you for being honest? And again, it really, it really is a difference um, when you're doing it, you're saying yes with a positive intention. Um, one more example of this for me is funerals are a boundary that I have right now. I, I will not attend funerals. And it's not about disrespect for the family. It's not about any of that. Um, because it's like, well, couldn't, couldn't you just go? And I'm in a place where when I look back at the things that have really been hard for me, I attended a lot of funerals as a really young child. Some of them were for older relatives in the family who died of maybe natural causes or, you know, close to it. Um, some, not so much. I think I saw the death of at least two, if not three, like young slash peer aged people uh, at that age. And I'm sure many people have been through that and I'm sure some have, have not been through it. And that was really hard for me. And, and in hindsight, it was traumatizing for me. Like I have certain anxieties and fears. And I think part of who I am as an eight is probably built on that, but it's a boundary for me right now. And so when my grandmother passed away, I told my mom, and you know, my mom knows me, so she's not going to push my boundaries because so she knows it's pointless to, to do it anyway, because I hold them firmly. But I told her, I was like, I'm I'm not coming to the funeral. Like whatever you guys are doing, I'm not doing it. Um, it's too hard for me. I loved my grandmother and talked to her regularly when she was alive. This funeral is not for her. It's for everyone else. And I, I loved and respected her when she was alive. And the funeral is just going to be harder for me than anything else. Like I just don't need to go somewhere where we're sitting in the pain of that. So that was the conversation, you know, and and it's really important to know when you're saying no just to be, I don't know, antagonistic or whatever, or you're saying no out of a real intention to protect something that's harmful to you, protect your energy, protect where you feel genuine saying yes versus no. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And, you know, you kind of like moves right into the next question that I had for you, because I think with all this talk about holding firm boundaries, not caring what people think about you, um, having no problem being like honest and direct, all of these things, I think that it can be kind of easy to kind of come to the conclusion from a distance mm -hmm. that you therefore do not face things like self-doubt or fear. And I'm interested in kind of hearing your take on this and, um, uh, you know, maybe if you're, if you're comfortable sharing a little bit about maybe the last time you were kind of faced with a, a big wave of self-doubt or a big wave of fear and kind of what you do to either just to handle it in, in whatever yeah. way that actually looks like. Cause I don't know. So, um, I mean, every time I launch something new, I face it every time because I don't know how it's going to be received. 
I just don't know. I don't have expectations that I think other people think that whatever I do is successful. That's just an assumption other people make. Um, when I released my 21 day sugar detox daily guide and I hadn't released a sugar detox book in years. So it was like four years later, basically that I released that book. I was like, I don't know what's going to happen. I haven't released one of these books in four years. Are they, do they want it? Will they care? Is this going to help people? I don't even know. Um, I was super anxious about that. And so I don't know, you know, and what I do to get through it is just take action on the stuff, like make it the best I can make it. Do my best work because that's all I can do. I can't control the outcome. I can only control what I put into it. Um, on the practical side, in terms of like the physical manifestation of the emotional stress that I feel when I'm putting that pressure on myself, is a pressure. Anxiety is always based on, you know, a future thing. It's always based on not knowing what the future holds. So the only way to reduce that is to take action today and again, do the best you can today because then you can look back and say, I did the best I could and it is what it is. Like I can't control the rest of this. I control what I can control. So, you know, working on things like sleep, getting, getting good sleep, um, working on my mindset, like really physically changing the pathways that if for some reason my brain would start to go to that stress place, I would immediately try and just change the pathway because our our neurons or our neuronal pathways, I don't know the science of it, but they will plasticize, meaning your, your brain will take the path of least resistance or the most common path that it's taken in the past. And here's an analogy. If like you take a certain route to work every day and you're always in traffic and stressed about getting to work on time, but then it's Saturday and you take the same route because maybe the mall is close to where your job is and there's traffic. So you get stressed about it, but you really don't need to be there at a certain time. It's just, that's the response your brain's used to having. So in order to make that stop, you have to interrupt it, pattern interrupt. So that's something that I work on. Um, right now, I mean, I'm building a new business with meals and the spices are still pretty new. I mean, it's a few years in and things are going well. And of course I think they could always be going better. Um, but with meals, that's the newest thing that I'm building. So many years ago, it was about more than 10 years ago, I was making meals for people locally here in the Bay Area, delivering them, et cetera. And then uh, late last year, I had the opportunity to have this conversation about creating my meals in a frozen format. And I was like, yeah, I totally want to do that. Like I, I thought of it mid-year last year. I was like, that would be really cool. It was just a pie in the sky thing. And then a few months later, this opportunity is presented. And I was like, yes, I absolutely want to do that. And I'm somebody who tends to go ugly early and, and do things before I'm ready and just be like, yeah, let's do it. And, you know, in hindsight, I wish I had taken a little more time to plan and execute. It's just never my, my approach. I, I don't like, cause I will just stir in the planning I know that about myself and I think most people do that. So I went and executed and now I'm actually re-securing the foundation. Like we're updating the tech, we moved to a new website, all of this stuff. And so I'm definitely feeling like, you know, I'm feeling self-doubt a little bit, 
but I actually know what I'm capable of. And I know that it's more about like, my expectations tend to be unreachable always. I will never achieve the thing that I'm like, I really think I could do this. And it's like, I, I constantly don't live up to my own expectations. Like I thought I would take it to a, a different place faster than I am, but I have to level with myself and be like, well, we need to have the tech in place for this. I need to have, you know, the affiliate program or whatever it is. All these things actually need to be in place. So it's a constant uh, reassessment of what is within my control and what's not. And then if there's something within my control that I haven't executed on, then I need to execute and I need to manage my expectations. And I think that that's um, pretty common for people who are feeling fear and self-doubt. Most of those people aren't executing enough because when you start executing, yeah, and I'm like, <laughs> we're, we can we see each other. <laughs> we can see each other on video. <laughs> That's my Mimi leaks. Um, when you execute over and over again, it builds confidence because you're like, well, I did that thing. I can clearly do this other thing. And sometimes it's just a matter of time and patience and consistency. I think that that is uh, that's the activator in both of us. Cause mm -hmm. I'm, I'm with you in that. Um, I, you know, I don't identify as being a perfectionist in any capacity. I am far, far more of the done is better than perfect. I've, I've shared this on here before, but like literally there is not one blog post, podcast, Instagram post, yeah. uh, piece of content, anything I've ever created that I've pressed publish on and felt like, yeah, that's exactly how I wanted that to be. Like never, it, never. No. Uh -huh. And I think, you know, I'm interested because that's kind of our tendency is to just take action. But you touched on something in there that I wanted to like hear your thoughts on as well, because a lot of people don't have that tendency and instead tend to ruminate and overthink and plan and strategize mm -hmm. and become anxious about things that they want for themselves. And they think more than they do. Right. And I also with that being as it is, and then also introducing another tendency that I see a ton of, I don't know if this is something that you feel like you see as well, but um, people feeling like just by the fact, like just by being busy or by feeling like they are working hard, that they are somehow like kind of doing the quote unquote right thing, right? Like mm -hmm. it's the equivalent, like just being busy or feeling like they're drowning, like they're working really hard and putting a lot of effort into something um, is the equivalent of success, right? And um, mm -hmm. I think it's like, that's another trap where you're like, you can find yourself on a hamster wheel where you're just working and working and working and you're busy and it's hard and you're putting effort in, but it's not necessarily um, go in the direction that you actually want to be going. Right. And so, or, or like moving the needle for you in a meaningful way. And I, you know, I'm curious as an action taker, um, how do you ensure that you are doing the work, like working smarter, not harder. Right. And you're keeping, you know, doing the work that actually moves the needle for you, not just taking action for the sake of taking action. That's a big one. Well, let me, let me talk a little bit about the perfectionism thing first, yeah. and then you might need to remind me about the second part. <laughs> Sometimes I like really get into it. I'm like, what's I talking about? Um, let's talk about the perfectionism thing for a bit because um, this is so interesting. I learned this. Um, so 
my husband comes from a Christian background. Um, he's, he's like a little bit of, I don't know how to like word it properly, but he's a little bit like on that outside bubble of it now because he's like a little, uh, contrarian on a lot of what he maybe grew up learning, et cetera. Uh, but we were at a talk that was Rob Bell. We were in Laguna beach and Rob Bell was doing this like talk for entrepreneurs and like pastors and whatever. And he was talking about, and he, I'm sure he's not the one to originate the concept, but that's the first time I really heard it, that perfectionism is all about ego. Mm. And I think that most people who think that they care about details and things being done right and done well. Um, I don't think people would self-identify that way. Like I think that if you're somebody who's sitting with a project that you just keep not releasing it because it's not yet perfect, you have to realize that that has nothing to do with anyone else because the perfection is a construct in your own mind. And that's where it, we can identify that it has to do with the ego. So I'm extremely critical and detail oriented and I care about, you know, the color being the right color. I will see something if it's one pixel off, if you pick the wrong font, like I will see all of that, but that's still not ego when I'm like, push it out, just get it out there. Because if you're holding back what you have to offer the world, because it's not yet perfect, then that is just, I mean, that is a pure protection of your ego because the, the reason you're holding it back is the fear of the criticism that's going to come. And it will come no matter what. You can put out, you can release, you can take 10 years to release that thing because now it's really perfect, which frankly, by that time, whatever it should have been 10 years ago, you're now outdated. You're not mobile friendly. You know, like, <laughs> if you take that long in today's day and age to release something, like, you are just outdated anyway, but you realize that in the time it took you to actually get it out there, you're not serving anyone other than your own ego in the meantime. So you have to realize what you're keeping from the world out of the fear of criticism, which let me just tell you, like you will be criticized. You'll be criticized. Someone will tell you it's bad. Someone will tell you you're not good enough. Someone will tell you they hate it. It's ugly. It's whatever. I'll tell you who won't say that are the people who are also creating. And this is like the Brene Brown. It's not the critic who counts. I mean, that's actually a Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. I was like, I almost said like Woodrow Wilson. <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt. You know, it's not the critic who counts. And talking about how you will never see someone who's out there creating publicly criticizing things. It's just not going to happen. So who you might consider peers will never come bash you on the internet. It's never going to happen. Maybe you're friends with them and they say, Hey, I noticed a typo. They're going to privately message you so that you can fix a problem, but they're never going to just tear you down. It just doesn't happen. So if you see a message board or some BS like Instagram comments, rudeness, whatever, you have to know that those are the cheap seats. Those are the people who are just always, they're not out there doing the work. So to value that opinion so heavily is your problem. Like that is the problem. That is partially the sickness that people have is misguided valuation of opinions. Like at some point in time, people translated 
wanting love and approval from their parents to like everyone's opinion also matters. And I'm like, are they paying your bills? Mm -hmm. If someone's paying your bills, their opinion might matter, which is why people need to get off the payroll at home faster than they do. Right. Like the parental payroll. Mm. Um, but if, if your customers are like, this isn't answering all my questions. I, I need more help or whatever. That's who you listen to if that's who you're serving. Now you listen to it through a filter and most often they're not gonna be rude and critical in a certain way. Most often they're gonna say like, oh, I wish this had more nut-free recipes. Don't take it personally. Just make more nut-free recipes in the future if that's what people really want and you're trying to serve those people. So recognizing that perfectionism is an issue of ego. Uh, there will never be something that's perfect when it's released. So you're chasing a false hope. This doesn't exist. Even printed books will always have an error when they're printed. It's the worst. I mean, you'll literally find it the first day you open the book. You'll be like, oh, there's an obvious typo right here. Why didn't I see it the last 10 times I looked at this thing? <laughs> Don't know. Don't know. Human error. You know, we're humans. Um, so hopefully that'll help some people a little bit get out of their own way that like, it's just, it's just not real. Like the perfect is just not real. Um, and then what's the second part of the question. See, I was going to need you to remind me. Yeah. I'm going to ask you that in a second, but I wanted to read this quote from actually Brene Brown because I love, um, I love how she puts this. Perfectionism is not the same thing as striving to be your best. Mm -hmm. Perfectionism is the belief that if we live perfect, look perfect and act perfect, we can minimize or avoid the pain of blame, judgment, and shame. Right. It is a shield, a 20 ton shield that we lug around thinking it will protect us when in fact it is the thing that's preventing us from flight. And I love that. You're totally that from Darlene. Uh, yeah, I think so. Or, um, might be in more than one of her books. It might be. Yeah. But I love that. It's just basically if you really boil it down, it's fear. And you know, what uh the second part to that question that i was curious about is like how easy it can be to just fall into the trap of kind of staying busy for the sake of being busy oh yeah or just feeling like if you're working hard that it's it equals success like how do we balance mm -hmm. how do we make sure that the work that we're doing and the action that we're taking is actually moving the needle for us and it's not just you know that's an interesting question i don't i don't really understand that too well like does someone feel like being busy is successful like what what's their metric of success yeah i don't understand how I think being busy is a metric of success i have seen it in a bunch of different ways one explain is this to me uh, explain <laughs> it to you i have seen it in a, in a bunch of different ways i see it with people in the gym i see it with people in their career um where and i think it has to do with some of the messaging that we here growing up in this country where like hard work equals success right mm. it's like just work all you have to do is work really hard and then poof right and i see it you know i also see with people in the gym where they're just like they're like i'm putting all the effort in like i'm showing up i'm doing all the things um but i'm not really getting where i'm going and there is a disconnect i think between working hard and working smart and making sure that mm. the action that you're taking okay. is actually serving you versus okay. just being busy to be busy. You know what so I mean? So I got a couple notes now based on this. <laughs> I'm taking notes if you're wondering what I'm looking at. Sometimes I'm doodling while I'm talking and thinking, but um, okay. So I think there's a few things going on. Um, one is 
people might just not be goal oriented. They might not know what they're working towards. If you don't know what you're working towards, then you can be on that hamster wheel. I definitely see it with folks who are like blogging or, you know, doing sponsored content. I'm like, okay, when does that, when does that hamster wheel stop? Like you can't, if you get off, the whole thing stops, right? So I think that um, knowing what the actual goal is, going back to what we were talking about earlier, self-awareness and auditing, like part of the goal, I think, for me is to just enjoy what I'm doing because if I don't enjoy it, there will be 10 to 20% of things that I have to do that I don't enjoy. I enjoy working. So that's a different thing. Like I choose work that I enjoy, but there's always 10 to 20% that I don't, I don't enjoy having to, I like doing a podcast. I don't enjoy having to put it on the calendar. Yeah. But it's a necessary evil. Like if you want to talk to somebody else, you need to pick a time and both show up. Like these are necessary evils. Um, you know, I, I, there's certain things we just have to do. So I think the self-awareness really helps. Uh, and, and an audit on that too, which that's the tough part, right? Like, is this really working for me? Mm -hmm. Um, and I think also, so I don't know if this is primarily for folks who maybe are entrepreneurs. So this is kind of the, the angle I'm going to take on it. Entrepreneur, you have a side hustle or whatever. I think the, that feedback from those who you're serving is really important. And that doesn't just mean your public audience on Instagram, for example, because if they're not paying the bills, then their opinion is less valuable. And unfortunately, it just is what it is. Now, if you post sponsored content, then everyone who's publicly there kind of gets a say if, if that's how you monetize your work, which is why I don't monetize my work that way, because I'm not interested in everyone's opinion. I'm interested in the opinions of people who have put their money where their mouth is and says, I'm going to support this thing you're doing. And here's, here's what I thought of it, you know, and that still doesn't mean that if someone hated my book, I take it personally, but I am interested in what they say. I read all the reviews and I'm, I take in the information. I don't treat it as like a personal attack, but it is what it is. Um, so I think that all these things feed into it. Like if you're just, if you're just on the hamster wheel and doing the work, but you never step off and look at like, well, is it getting me where I want to be? Um, is it working towards whatever the goal is, whether it's financially a goal, whether it's service as a goal of like, I'm actually helping people. The feedback I'm getting is this, and it sounds like it's really working and great. I'm making an impact. Um, or yeah, I mean, I just, we all go through those periods of time where we're kind of like super just busy head down doing the work but I think you do need to come up for air and just look at what it is that you're working on. I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not sure I like a hundred percent identify or can picture this person. Mm -hmm. I, mean, I, I guess there are a few people I'm trying to, you know, put like an avatar to it, you know, or yeah, like, yeah. who is this person <laughs> who's behaving this way? I, I think that oftentimes someone who behaves that way is afraid to stop and say, what am I doing? And, and is this serving me yeah. how I want to show up in the world? And is it serving the people that I'm trying to serve? Like, I think that that's an avoidance 
that's really what we're getting to, I guess. It's like an avoidance tactic of getting to the meat of what you're really trying to do. Yeah. I love that. I think it's like, I think it can be, um, really easy to drown yourself in the details and the busy work without taking a peek at your long-term strategy, whether that's a business that you're running. Like I know a lot of people fall into the trap of working in their business rather than like on their business and a long-term, uh, kind of, um, strategy. And I see the same thing with like people kind of pursuing health, right? It's just like, okay, I'm going to do all the things. I'm going to pile on the to do's and stay really busy. But if we don't stop and look at the long-term strategy and what health is actually supposed to do for you long-term, it's easy to just drown yourself in the minutia and then just be, and then just feel defeated by it because you're like, I'm working so hard, but, and, uh, I just, it's something that I definitely see. And it's kind of the opposite end of the spectrum of the, of the tendency to overthink and not do anything. Cause I feel like they kind mm. of like be on either side of that. And then yeah, that's, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, either way it's an avoidance tactic Yeah, because it's uncomfortable to be doing the work. The thing is, if you're on that hamster wheel and you're just working, working, working without assessing, you don't have to step into, is it working or not? Yeah. You know what I mean? Like you never have to own if what you're doing is going well, you know? And I'm, I think I do that almost too often with some things where I'm like, like I'm looking at it on too much of a micro basis sometimes, like on a daily, weekly basis where I'm like, Diane, it's going to take a few months to know if this was the right thing, you know? Um, But I think, again, like uh, flexing and working the muscle of self-evaluation, not self-criticism, but the self-evaluation or even the evaluation of what you're doing and truly taking the emotions out of it not making everything so personal because here's a perfect example too um, with social media like i see and hear people get really upset about algorithms changing like listen that doesn't mean i'm happy when an algorithm changes and my people are not seeing my content but all right get in a huff about it (laughs) what is that doing nothing if you realize that instagram tv is what instagram wants you to do and you want to be talking to people on Instagram, then do the thing. And it's not personal and it's irritating and it's not easy and it forces us to learn new skills. But geez, like we've been given a platform to reach more people than we've ever reached before. So if we're not just grateful for that, I mean, I just, I don't understand why we will engage with it. Like either do it or don't. Hmm. Like the, the Steve Jobs movie I remember watching, and I don't know if this was true, but somebody was telling him that like, whatever the first Mac was too expensive. And he's like, this is the price, buy it or don't. And I'm like, this is the admission to be serving people on different platforms. Do it or don't, but don't complain about it. Like just, you know, move forward or avoid it, see what happens, but suffer the consequences, you know, and just, I don't know. Anyway, different conversation. I know. I love, no, I love, I love all of that. And, you know, I have, uh, I actually have a few more questions here for you, but we are somehow like, cause I'm a talker. We're somehow there already. So, um, I, I'll just, um, give you one more question, but before I get there, I wanted to give you an opportunity to tell, we've been talking about some of this stuff for for Mm -hmm. a minute in the show, but I want you to just like give you an opportunity to 
um, tell people where they can find you, how they can buy your products, your books, all of the things, how they can learn from you. I want to just give you an opportunity to get it out there. So the newest thing that's coming, it's not launched yet, but I mentioned the Balanced Bites podcast wrapped up at 400 episodes, but myself and my friend Cassie Joy Garcia, who many of you may know from the blog Fed and Fit, you may follow her on Instagram, or if you don't, go follow her. Um, she and I will be doing a entrepreneurial, like health, life, business, personality, balance sort of podcast. So it's we've all of these topics. <laughs> yeah, everything we've been talking about today. Um, the new show is called Driven. It will be released. Hopefully, if it's not if it's not during the month of May, it'll be June. Cassie's currently on a book tour for her new book, Cook Once Eat All Week. And we had recorded an episode. So here, here's the, we are go ugly early types. We recorded an episode. Uh, and I, and we're also really good friends. And I, after the fact, I was like, what did you think? Do you think that was good? And we, she was like, yeah. And I'm like, okay. And I just kind of sat with it. And then a week later we were in person together and I was like, I have to tell you something. She's like, what? I'm like, I don't, I don't think that was our best effort. And she was like, okay. She's like, okay, I agree. And she's like, and actually my audio didn't even record properly. <laughs> I was like, when were you going to tell me that? She's like, I don't know. I know we had a backup, but I'm like, okay, well, I think we need to step back and redo it. And it's not about perfectionism, but it is about putting our best effort forward, you know? Yeah. Um, so it was really funny, but that was like, if you have a friend, you really need to be honest with them. Don't just like, that would have been people pleasing. Mm -hmm. If I didn't say what I really felt was true and important and it's not me to be a people pleaser. And I was like, I have to tell her what I really think. I can't start this relationship of a podcast on a lie. Yep. Mm -hmm. Not me. So anyway, and I have to like know and respect that she's going to respond well to that, you know? Mm -hmm. So anyway, but the concession then being, let's wait till you're done with the tour and just do it right instead of trying to do it now. Let's do it right. So interesting. But so Driven, we're super excited about it. We have so many topics we want to discuss. And if you follow Balance Bites podcast now on Instagram, uh, it's going to convert to the Driven show podcast. So you'll, you'll still be there. And we have like about 30,000 people following there right now. So it's great. Um, but that's going to be the biggest way to stay connected with me every week. And of course my Instagram, just at Diane Sanfilippo on Instagram. Um, and of course for everything, food and health and, um, recipes and all that is, uh, at balance bites on Instagram. And there are email lists for both just my own stuff and my balance bite stuff, which is where we really give kind of the FOMO don't need to stress about the social media just get it once a week or twice a week, whatever it is we're sending. You can just like get the information and mm -hmm. not be like, ah, I have to catch up and I'm not seeing it. So those are the main, the main ways. You have a lot going on right now. And I'm really excited about this new show. And I love that it's basically all the things that we kind of talked about today. And I'm sure a lot more, and I can't wait to hear it. I'm sure the people who, um, uh, listen to She Thrives Radio are also yeah. going to love it because it seems like it's a lot yeah. of like self-development and all that kind of stuff. So I'm super excited for that. So my last question for you, Diane, is if you could boil down um, your best or your most impactful or powerful um, tips or strategies to anybody who is just kind of on the like feeling like they are working up 
the, I don't know, the strength or they're just like, they're on the edge of taking a risk or facing a fear of any kind, whether that is learning how to be more honest with themselves and people around them, whether that's actually starting a business um, and literally anything in between of kind of like leaning into the discomfort of mm. what that actual experience is like. What would you identify as your top three tips for Ooh, anybody three. who is getting ready to take a risk or face a fear? Listen, this sounds like something I should have had notes on, but you <laughs> sprung this on me. So three tips. Um, I'm picturing a lot of the women, especially who you know, come to me and I'm hearing their stories and struggles and all of that. So I think one thing to keep in mind, so maybe this is a tip, is that not making a decision is also making a decision. Mm. And I watch a lot of people stew because of the fear of the unknown. But the longer, the more time you wait to make your decision, and I'm not saying don't make an educated, informed decision, but when you just stall, people are making decisions and things are happening in that time that now you are letting things happen to you instead of actively participating. So the first thing I would say is be informed. If you're a type five, watch out and a type six Enneagram, they will try to be over-informed and not make decisions. Um, but make your decision as well-informed as you can and then experience the consequences and then choose again. Like, there are very few things in the world that have such severe initial consequences that we cannot quickly then make a new decision. You know, choosing to have a baby, becoming pregnant is a very, very big one. Buying a house. I mean, even buying a car is not as big as buying a house, but you know, these big financial decisions, okay, like be more calculated, but like what to blog, what to post on Instagram, none of that should be stew worthy. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's not that critical. Um, so I think that's the first one is like, I think people really struggle with making decisions because they're afraid of choosing the wrong thing. And 99% of the time, you're not going to know the right decision. You're just going to know what feels at least 51% right. Go with that one. Um, and then go from there. And I think the second thing is, you know, we talked about this a lot today is like really reevaluating whose opinions you value and whether or not you should be valuing those opinions. And then, I mean, I think the third thing is the self mastery and being willing to take a critical look at who you are and the way you operate in order to improve it. Because we're not going to be the throw our hands up types who say, well, this is just how I am, but we can say, this is how I am. And if I want to embrace that and amplify the best parts, here's what I need to do. And if I want to improve some of the things that I think are not the best, you know, like for a lot of folks, the idea of being an Enneagram eight seems ideal because they're like, well, that you're like confident and you just do things and it's like bold and unapologetic. And that seems really great. But in the, in the wake of that, right. It's like who felt left behind, or like I said, steamrolled or, you know, not heard or unaccounted for and all of that. And at our best, we're accounting for everyone and we're championing for everyone and we're giving a voice to the voiceless and all of that. And it's like, how do I examine these elements of my my personality that I can improve upon. 
and 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 by that token too surround yourself with people who will support that yeah and I think knowing that not every friend is intended to like Mel Robbins. I really love following Mel Robbins. If you guys don't at Mel Robbins live on Instagram, she has a talk show coming out soon. She's kind of like a mix of, I don't know, like a no nonsense, like Oprah Brene Brown type with a real straight shooting mouth. I mean, not profanity, but like, she just really says it. Um, I really like her approach, but she talked recently about like certain friends being kind of like bucketed. You might have old friends who are always going to be your old friends, but they're not the ones who are there for your personal development mm -hmm. aha moments. And that's okay. You know what I mean? Just kind of have to recognize that. So I think those are the, the few things that I would say, at least as of today. <laughs> Listen, I am here for all three of those things. I think that those are huge, huge considerations when it comes to bringing awareness to what is keeping you from what you want and mm -hmm. being able to lean into that no matter how unready or uncomfortable it may feel and no matter what scale we're talking on. Like I think that those, all three of those things ring true. So I really appreciate you sharing those. And Diane, I am so um, honored that you took the time to come chat with me today. I know you've got a million projects swirling around you. You are like, you have so much going on. So I really appreciate you taking the time to chat with me and my audience today. I know that I just know that they're going to love everything that you had to share. And I just really appreciate you being here. Well, thank you. I'm really glad to have chatted with you. I always love chatting with you. Um, and I think folks are going to love listening to Driven if they love your show. So I'm really excited to serve my community in this way because this is content that I've wanted to share for so long. And I forgot to mention, I did record 54 episodes of a podcast I call Build a Badass Business just by myself because I was in this place where I needed to just get it out. Yeah. Um, so that was a few years ago. But if you're like, I want to hear more, Build a Badass Business, I think would be great for you guys to listen to. Um, and most of them are pretty short. So while you're waiting for Driven or you want to subscribe in the meantime, that would be a great place to go. Yeah, I can, um, I can attest to that. I listened to that um, a few, I think all of the episodes or most of them uh, a couple years ago, back when mm -hmm. I decided to like, all right, give this yeah. thing a real go, you know? And yeah. Um, yeah, the episodes are awesome. So I highly recommend that as well. Um, sweet, Diane, thank you so thank much. You. I really appreciate it. And can't wait to see all the amazing things you've got coming up the pipeline here. I know they are going to be awesome. Thank you. And there you have it. I so hope that you enjoyed this interview as much as I did. And clearly you can tell that there are a million ways for you to learn from Diane and all of she has to offer and her vast knowledge surrounding not only nutrition, um, but entrepreneurship and just showing up as your best self in a no bullshit fashion which you know we live for around here. So I'm going to put all of the links to her website and some of her books and all that good stuff in the show notes for you. And I hope that you go follow her and learn from her because she's awesome. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode today. So thank you so much for listening. Until next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of She Thrives Radio. And if you like what you heard today, please be sure to rate, review, and subscribe. And then head on over to SheThrivesBlog.com where you can sign up for my weekly emails where I send out my favorite tips, tricks, advice, and support every single Monday morning to help you kick your week off right. Thank you for listening. Until next time.